Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. The Volume. Charles Darwin. The Nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Breber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are going to be reacting to all of NFL Sunday Week 6 action. And we have to start with the wild primetime game that ended it all. The Giants get stopped on the goal line as the Bills hold on for an underwhelming comeback win. But a win nonetheless. What did you take away from this one, Logan? Dude, I think Tyrod Taylor might be better than Daniel Jones. Okay. I don't know about all that, but I mean, I think they are hey. pretty comparable. And Tyrod almost pulled it out tonight, man. I could not believe how close of a game this was, especially with what happened at the end of the first half. You know, the Giants get down there off of the turnover. Uh, they get a flag that uh, basically extends them, gives them basically a free free three shots at the end zone with 15 seconds, right? With that much time on the clock, you've got a reasonable amount of time to run as many plays into the end zone as you can, right? You want to maximize your opportunities there. Tyrod really screwed the pooch by running the football, going alert, alert, changes the play call at the line of scrimmage. That makes the biggest difference in this game, man. You know I mean? It's the difference between this being a uh, nine to nothing game at half, a 13 to nothing game at half. And then at the end, obviously you either have the lead and you're trying to run the clock out or you're kicking a field goal to win the game. So I thought that made all the difference towards the end of the game, but I really was impressed with, with, uh, the giants and how, how close they were able to keep this game. Uh, I thought Tyrod Taylor played pretty well. He goes vert versus Poyer in that single high slot fade, uh, to Darius Slayton against Benford. I think that is a real key, uh, that I'm worried about with the Bills moving forward, Carson, just their cornerback play. Wow. Uh, I was really underwhelmed. But, uh, I mean, I just think the Bills let them hang around in this game, man. It's one of those Josh Allen games, Carson, that we're kind of used to. Uh, but I still feel like the Giants sold this one. They should have won this football game, man. If they execute in the right spots, the, the Bills handed this one to them, dude. This is... It was one of those Josh Allen games, man, and I think we saw some of the Bills' worst tendencies. Um, 
receivers aren't getting open outside of digs. We're seeing the cornerback struggle. I thought the defensive line got a ton of pressure on Tyrod. They really impressed me today, but uh, a lot of the same issues still persist here in Buffalo, and I know that they're just glad to have uh, survived this one, man. I, I think the Bills, I, the Giants lost this one more than the Bills won, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I mean, they straight up gave up three points at the end of the first half and then obviously had a really good opportunity to finish this game off on that final drive, which was just the ultimate Tyrod Taylor experience, man. And having watched him every single game as the Bills starter for three years, there's a reason that we called that man exclusively Captain Checkdown. He is maybe the most conservative quarterback I have ever seen, but he played a good football game today. And he is the only man on the planet who would look at the scoreboard and the clock and say, all right, we're down five with a minute, 24 seconds left. Let's go on a 13 play drive. Let's take a check down almost every single time. But you know what? He did a good job of dinking and dunking against that Bill's softer coverage. And he put them in a position where they really could have won the game. And I thought that that was a great play call, that pop pass on the final play. Everybody's going to be looking at Saquon. You have by far the biggest, a very athletic dude on the field in Waller. And Taron Johnson made a good play there. So this was a very scary, concerning game for the Bills. And they have been one of the most bipolar teams in the league this year. It's a horrible week one performance. Then for three weeks running, they are the most dominant team in the NFL. Absolutely obliterating two crappy teams, but then going out and just knocking the Dolphins on their ass, limiting that offense like we hadn't seen anybody do, lighting up that defense with 48 points. And now the last two weeks, it's that really slow start against the Jags, and it's another really slow start in this one. And I think the biggest concern for me with this Bills offense right now is the lack of quality weapons outside of Stefan Diggs. And that was blatant in this game. 12 of Josh's first 17 passing attempts were targeting Diggs. And you don't have Kincaid out there in this one, but he's really had a minimal impact in the passing game so far. Been very underwhelming. Gabe Davis, I think, is generally overrated because he had one sensational playoff game, but is really elevated by Josh, and he does fill an important role in this offense as a big athletic deep threat, but in terms of his polish as a route runner, in terms of his hands, he's just not a reliable down-to-down -down guy, so they run out of quality options really quick, and it can just become Josh trying to force the ball to Diggs. We really saw that in this first half. There's that one play where he's under pressure. It's third down. Diggs is blanketed. And he's still like, all right, I guess I'm going to try to just toss it up and lead him. And it was an attempt to make a play that just wasn't feasible. So I was concerned by that. The Bills also just did not try to establish the run early in this game. They ran the ball successfully, but we have seen those stretches where they are overwhelmingly pass heavy and can become one dimensional. And I didn't love the play calling from Ken Dorsey overall in this game. Again, I thought particularly when the Bills are going on that drive down six, nothing, and they're on the one, the shotgun runs have got to stop. We've seen it too many times. It results in a loss of three. And luckily the next play call is a good one. They get a touchdown. But when you have a six, five hyper athletic monster, like Josh Allen, when QB sneaks have an 80 plus percent success rate, maybe just put him under center and have him over overpower the defensive line. The bills are obsessed with running out of shotgun. I swear 90% of the snaps in general out of shotgun, which is okay because Josh is dynamic there, but there are certain situations in which you have 
to switch things up. So to me, this game was on the Bills offense that it was so close. And luckily, Josh was really polished in the second half. He went most of the second half without a single incompletion. He did have that painful miss to Dawson Knox. Should have ended the game. Had him wide open on that third and eight. That's one that obviously he wishes he could have back. But other than that, I thought he played very composed in the second half. He was efficient. And then he had that one miraculous throw to Quinton Morris back across his body into a crazy tight window with DBs closing in from both sides. That's what Josh does at his best. That's what we've talked about. He is this brilliant, efficient game manager, as really any good quarterback is most of the time, who sprinkles in the incredible athletic gutsy displays. That was in the second half. The first half was bad. It was bad offensively in every way. And defensively, that is really the side of the ball I'm more concerned about for the Bills going forward just because they've lost two of their absolute best players. Matt Milano, an all-pro, Trey White, an all-pro an all pro pre-injury, and he was playing really well before his injury. And I understand they only let up nine points in this game. I still didn't think it was a very good performance against a really bad Giants offense. I thought as things progressed, they were able to find too much success on the ground. I did think the corner play was bad in the first half. Kair Elam, not good. That was a big bust. Benford and Taron Johnson made big plays at the end, but I still definitely am concerned about that unit overall. And you gave props to the pass rush. I wasn't overly impressed because this has been the worst offensive line in football. The Bills pass rush has been legitimately very good. So yeah, they got pressure, but the expectation for me was probably that they would get even a little bit more in this one. And I want to see Von Miller get back to the level of impact that we expect from him. Of course, he's coming off of a major injury at 34 years old, but it looked like he was running a lot of his reps almost at half speed in this one. And ironically, still beating Evan Neal a decent amount of the time because he's just that bad. But it was an underwhelming performance from the Bills overall, and they have to get to the place where they are consistently, week in, week out, an elite football team. This is the kind of game that you have to win when you sleepwalk and you suck for a half against a bad football team. It's the sign of a good football team when you can still escape there with a win, but they shouldn't have been in that spot to begin with. And it feels like this is just what happens periodically with the Bills, Carson. You know, I mean, I've been watching and on Buffalo for a long time, and it's just one of those Josh Allen games, man. I... One of the one of the most seamless quarterback comparisons for Josh Allen, I think, is Ben Roethlisberger. When you talk about frame, profile, arm, talent, uh, ability to evade pressure, to make big plays, and one of the similarities I've noticed between both of them, it's really weird to me, Carson, is just how the beginning of games really seems to dictate how the rest of them are going to go. Uh, if Josh starts the game out of rhythm with his receivers and he can't get all of the offense involved, or if he throws an interception earlier... Uh, early in the game, excuse me, it's like quicksand. I love the I love the comparison, but with both of these guys, I don't know what it is, man. They're both of the most heavily they're quick starters, but they're also guys that sink if if things aren't going right immediately. And I know him and Diggs get a connection going early, but it's it, it it's a really it's a it's a thing to be concerned about moving forward. And we haven't seen this in the playoffs. But was that but the it case is. in this game? Because I thought that Josh actually really responded well in the second half, and they don't win this no, game no, if he oh, doesn't no, no. play a good second half. Oh, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in the first half, the way if they just don't get out of the gates early, it's like the offense just scrambles to find a rhythm the rest of the game. Now, they do in the second half, and that's something that I was saying similar to Ben, too, is that they'll find it eventually, but it's frustrating when you're so talented and you reach these insane heights week to week, and then you just drop a dud and a half. It just seems like 
Josh is more predisposed to have games like this than any other quarterback in the NFL, and I don't know why, because, again, the second half, he turns it up. We see we see Superman. That's how I look at Josh Allen, man. I think he's, I think he's fucking Superman. The way he can evade the, the other team's best pass rusher, the way he can buy time, the balls that he can fit into tight windows, pause, the way he can throw downfield too, man. Josh is just, he's superhuman, but it is frustrating when it just seems more often than not that he had, not more often than not, it just seems like three to four games out of the year, we're going to get this kind of start out of Buffalo, and it's the kind of game that will kill you against a good football team. Well, here's my thought on that. I do think that Josh has been too up and down over the last year plus, but I think part of the reason it's overstated is because there's probably no other football team on the planet that is so singularly reliant on one dude yeah. that oh, doesn't yeah. have a deep group of quality weapons, that doesn't have a good line, that does not consistently commit to running the football. It is Josh Allen, go be a superhero, go play really damn well, or we're not going to produce offensively, and we're probably not going to win that football game. And there's just few guys who bear that sort of burden. Like, Think about how bad Jalen Hurts has been through six weeks of this year, right? He has as many picks as touchdowns. I mean, he's certainly been worse, had way more bad performances than somebody like Josh Allen, but who was the dialogue week in, week out about, oh, this guy is so erratic, he's undependable, he's the least consistent good quarterback in football? It's Josh Allen. He's held to an unreasonable standard, I think. Joe Burrow... What's the difference between the game that he played today and the game that Josh played? Josh actually made more timely plays. Burrow's offense stagnated when it mattered most. He had a turnover in this game. But nobody's talking about Joe Burrow. Yes, Josh played in primetime, but I think there is a narrative and a presupposition here that predisposes him to more criticism on this very point. So this was not a good game from him, but he showed up when it mattered most. He's still top two to me, and that's not even a debate. He's Superman. No, no, no. I mean, that's, that's such a great point. There's no quarterback, I think, outside of Patrick Mahomes in the NFL that bears more responsibility on his team, his offense succeeding the way Josh's does. Maybe I would also say Lamar's probably up there in that upper echelon yes, week in, absolutely. week out. He dictates, you know, he's solely responsible for his offensive success. So to alleviate that pressure, Carson, let me ask you, we've noted, you know, issues on offense and on defense. Do you think that they are the issues are worrisome enough that you think the Bills need to make a deal by the trade deadline? Do they need to get a corner? Do they need to get a wideout? Is there an asset that they need to go out and get to solidify their uh, their team? If they want to be in serious Super Bowl conversations, I think that they need both. I think that you feel the elite talent that this defense has lost, and I grow more concerned by the week about the group of weapons outside of Diggs. So. I concretely like the Chiefs more than the Bills right now. I think that they are in a tier with the Ravens and that next group in the AFC. Mm. But it just doesn't fall on Josh to me. And I don't want to be overly critical of a guy like Hurts, but my point is the gap is massive. Josh has outplayed basically every quarterback in the NFL this year. I think when you look at the stretch that he went on, week two, week four, Last week was a slow start, but the finish was spectacular. He did things that only he and maybe Mahomes can do. Lawrence has had up and down performances. Burrow obviously came out the gate horribly due to injury, but today he was underwhelming. And it's just always Josh that we're talking about in this way. But the Bills do not look as good as they did two weeks ago. There's not even a conversation. 
And it is disheartening that a team can go from that sort of dominant stretch to this very underwhelming level playing down to competition. That's the reality for them. That's why they can't be a tier one contender to me right now. So let's talk about a team that has not only been a tier one contender, but has been sort of the presumptive Super Bowl favorite as of late. Came out and took a tough loss today to a backup quarterback, that being the San Francisco 49ers. What did you make of that, Logan? An absolutely shocking loss for San Francisco. And it's funny to me the difference a week makes, man. Uh, I watch a show on YouTube uh, every week it comes out. Rich Eisen uh, does an amazing uh, little part of his show called Overreaction Monday. And the overreaction this week was the Niners would beat a team of all pros and pro bowlers and uh, like TJ Watt, Aaron (laughs) Donald, all the best players in the league. They would lose to the Niners. And then they go out in this week, they lose to... An XFL quarterback. I don't really know any other way to, to dress it up, man. But XFL MVP, if I'm not mistaken. Though. XFL MVP. That is something that I want to say that, that I, I want on the record. I think that P.J. Walker's a really high-level, solid backup, man. He's kind of young, Tyrod Taylor-esque, in my opinion. He's fast. He's evasive. He's agile. We can throw on the run. He, he's decent at Makes checking it down. Makes more mistakes. Tyrod would never turn the ball over. No, no. Tyrod would never, bro. He, he doesn't. You couldn't pay Tyrod to turn the ball over. He would never put uh, the ball in harm's way. I also thought it was a crazy decision for him to run for four yards with that amount of time left in that game, man. That was nuts. Tyrod yeah. is a wild man for that. Uh, I think the I think the Cleveland Browns are, are legitimate Super Bowl contenders, man. I mean, if they can beat the t- this team with P.J. Walker at QB... I think the Browns are bona fide Super Bowl contenders if they have average to sub-average QB play, man. They're the number two ranked passing and rushing defense by yards per attempt. They're the number three ranked scoring defense overall. I think you have top ten duos at all three levels on the defense. Garrett and Smith, Walker and JOK, and then Ward, Newsom, and Delpit, I think, are all beasts. They've got the best offensive line in football. And then when you think about weapons that make things happen, look, Jerome Ford isn't a game-breaking, game-changing talent, but he's really capable. And behind an offensive line like this, he can eat. And then at wideout, you have a a legitimately great number one in Amari Cooper. He made insane plays in this game. I mean, that crazy high point catch on the right sideline where he's got two guys on him and he somehow brings it down and gets both feet in was unreal. I mean, I think if Deshaun Watson comes back and is average and is 16th or right around there, I think the Browns are legitimate Super Bowl contenders. I think all seven teams in the AFC could win the Super Bowl that I think are going to get in the... Not all teams that are going to get into the playoffs, because we may have won. But I think there are seven teams in the AFC that could win the Super Bowl if they get in, Carson. I think that the AFC is that deep this year and this open. Uh, We'll get into, you know, takeaways on the Niners' side, too. But I just think this reinforces that if the Browns can get average to adequate quarterback play, I think they can win the Super Bowl. Yeah, and they are firmly in that Tier 2 AFC contenders conversation to me. I think that they are a more talented all-around football team, certainly, than the Bills with their injuries. I think they are right there with the Ravens. It is just going to come down to the level that we get from Deshaun Watson. And he- Whoa, can, 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 we, can, we, can we back that up one yeah. time? I'm sorry, so you would take everything included. You would go Browns over Bills right now. 
No, I think the Browns are a more talented all-around football team. I would not okay, put them okay. above them just, okay, okay, in my okay. contender hierarchy because I still think that Deshaun Watson is a massive, massive question mark. We saw him play two really bad football games, one good football game, then have a mysterious injury. It's just not a situation that I am confident in, but I agree with you. If he gets to that average, above-average level... This is an utterly dominant defense. The pass rush in the front has been everything that we expected and even more. I think that the secondary has been better than expected. I think that not only did they have Brock Purdy in hell this game, they contained the Niners run game better than any other defense that we have seen. And they are looking at four out of five performances this year. Just absolute dominance defensively. They are a top three defense in football and offensively, Even without Conklin, even without Chubb, I think they're going to be able to run the football really well. Kareem Hunt also we saw getting more touches. He still looked good out there in this game. My concern for them offensively outside of the quarterback position, which is probably the biggest, is also the depth of their receiving core. Because I've been pretty underwhelmed by everybody other than Amari, who I think has become underrated. Like, his consistent production, regardless of circumstances, that dude is damn, damn good. But Elijah Moore has been underwhelming. Donovan Peoples-Jones has been underwhelming. We'll see if Deshaun can get back and build more of a rhythm and a chemistry with those guys. But I do need to see their overall passing attack reach a higher level for me to be really confident in them as contenders. But the talent, especially defensively, is 100% there. I, I'm with you. I, the one big uh, concerning thing about Deshaun, though, is what I've heard is it's not a. Uh, originally, it was out of the blue. They they called it a shoulder bruise. Apparently, it's actually inside his shoulder, and it's a rotator cuff injury. So, I mean, that could have uh, much bigger ramifications. I don't know if that means season-ending surgery or something like that. But the fact that it happened out of the blue, and now that they're saying that it's in his shoulder. Uh, is a lot more concerning to me. You know, I still think this team can win football games with PJ or whoever's at the QB uh, position, but uh, Deshaun has to be at 100% health. I mean, I think to even reach an average level of QB play right now. Agreed. And it is so impressive that they won this game, not just with PJ out there, who maybe I'm not as high on as you. Nothing like freakish outlier sort of stuff happened in this game they lost the turnover battle they were just that dominant at the line of scrimmage but we do have to talk about this from the Niners perspective because this was marked as a big old W once it was announced that Deshaun was not starting and this was by far the most human this offense has looked and this was by far the roughest outing point blank that Brock Purdy has had as a starter for this football team last year or this season this is a guy that we were saying had maybe worked his way into the MVP conversation just with his production and efficiency guiding this offense to such elite heights. What is your concern level over what you saw from San Francisco today? I'm concerned if their weapons aren't out there. McCaffrey and Debo both leave this game with injuries. Look, I think if San Francisco at full health beats any team they play, I still fundamentally believe that. I'm not jumping off the bandwagon right now. They're still my number one Super Bowl contenders. And I also want to get something else on the table about the Niners. They win this football game nine times out of ten. Jake Moody's not missing that kick. It comes down to a field goal at the end here. Uh, He misses the game-winning 41-yard field goal. He also misses a 54-yarder in the first half. Uh, I don't want to get too much into those because Dustin Hopkins also missed a 47-yarder in this game. So 
we see a point swing there with both teams either way. I thought Purdy did a really good job on the final drive without Debo or McCaffrey. They have a two-minute drill. Like, you carves the defense up. Yeah, he connects with Jawan Jennings on an out route for the final play, and then Moody just misses the kick. So, but Purdy for most of this game did not look good, despite him putting in a, them in a position to uh, win this game. I still think he's the highest, you know, game manager that you could get, the highest end game manager that you could get. Uh, but you see his limitations here. You know, he throws way behind on Ayuk on that crossing route. He fumbles where he just drops the pass behind himself on that throw. And yes, without weapons, of course, Brock Purdy is going to look human, right? He's not an elevator of talent. Carson, honestly, from this football season, I think there are like two guys in the league that are legitimate elevators of talent in a different tier, and that is just Mahomes and Allen. The rest of the guys, you could consider them game managers, and I don't even mind. Lamar elevates his entire offense because of his rushing ability. I wouldn't say he elevates his receivers. Purdy is firmly in that game manager tier, but he's still the highest end game manager you can get. My issue wasn't even with the turnovers, Carson. It wasn't with the final drive. My issue is with 320, they get the ball back, and they can put this game away if they get a couple of first downs. That's where my real issues with Brock Purdy came in this game. With 320 on the clock, you need to get three first downs, and this game is wraps because you have a lead. Uh, they burn 15 seconds off the clock, and they punt it right back to them. It looks like the Browns are going to get off the field, and the Niners are going to get the ball back, but the refs bail out the Browns on the drive. I thought that was a really bad, unnecessary roughness call on Sean Gibson on that hit on Elijah Moore. Gives them a fresh set of downs. They go down, kick the field goal. Uh, that that hit, it, it just frustrated me, Carson, because Elijah Moore's going for the ball. He drops it, and in that instance, you can tell when he brings his, ball, uh, his hands in, he's going to catch the ball. He just doesn't have it, and then it ends up Gibson and Elijah Moore's uh, heads collide, and they call the unnecessary roughness call. So I thought the Niners should have still won this game. I am concerned with Purdy if he has to play in games like this. Yes, I am. That's the recipe. The Browns showed you. The recipe is you get Purdy to have to climb from behind, and that's how you win. Purdy, uh, you have to get him to extend drives without his guys. If they're at full health, I think the Niners still win this football game. They're still my uh, Super Bowl contenders, but I've never really viewed Purdy as a— MVP. And I felt mistaken. I, I felt so dumb last week, Carson. We were talking about MVPs. I go Brock Purdy, Mahomes, and TJ Watt. Oh my gosh, does Christian McCaffrey not exist? We are so removed from this being a skill position or best player on the planet award. We're so locked in on this being a QB award that I wipe those guys from my mind. McCaffrey wholeheartedly, in my opinion, is my MVP right now. And I didn't even mention him last week. I don't think Purdy's an MVP. I don't think he's a top five QB. I don't think he's an elevator of talent. Brock Purdy's damn good. But obviously, he needs the guys around him to win football games. That's what we learned, and I felt like we already knew that. I know Purdy's not the MVP. I know Purdy's not this Mahomes-Allen talent. Purdy's damn good, but he's a game manager. Yeah, this doesn't meaningfully change my outlook on Brock Purdy, but it was kind of interesting to see, all right, what can he do for a portion of this game without... McCaffrey out there without Debo out there and obviously I hope both those guys are okay because you lay out the formula and it's a pretty complicated one if it requires being maybe oh, the best is. defense in football playing in bad mm -hmm. weather and then having two of the Niners three dominant skill position players get hurt 
Kittle would be a fourth, but he's just been so inconsistent, so up and down this year, and Purdy just really doesn't. They've been having him block all game, man. Yeah. Throwing the damn ball. Yeah, no, he's not getting as involved in the passing game consistently, except last week, of course, which was a big-time performance from him. But this was not a good Purdy game in a vacuum, and even when those guys were out there, he missed what could have been a big-time touchdown throw to McCaffrey along the sideline. You mentioned way off target on that pick to Ayuk. The fumble, I understand that that's like the ha-ha moment of this game, but to me, that's weather-induced. That's such a random thing. I don't hold that against him, and it didn't cost him. He fell on the ball, but he was under tons of pressure in this game, and this was a back-against-the-wall performance because he's down his great weapons. This was the most limited the run game has been. But he did step up on that last drive, and there wasn't a ton of spectacular stuff, but he did make that one nice throw off his back foot with the defender bearing down on him to Ayuk, and then he executed the rest of the drive, and then, as you said, Jake Moody misses a very, very makeable field goal. This is the reality for Purdy, and I think that maybe this was a good moment for people to meet in the middle ground for those who have proclaimed that he is the next all-time great to see okay he does have limitations in terms of his creation he can't go do the above and beyond remarkable stuff that makes the truly elite quarterbacks who they are he is benefited by having guys consistently pretty wide open and having brilliant play calling paired with brilliant skill position talent all of that is obvious but it doesn't change the reality of his situation and it's almost why the how good is Purdy in a vacuum conversation is a bit moot and a bit overplayed because Brock Purdy is playing football for the San Francisco 49ers. He is in offensive heaven. That is the reality. And maybe it does matter what level of quarterback he really is when you are talking about that Super Bowl. Hey, just nuts on the table drive. Can you go out there and do what it takes and make those big time throws? But we've seen He's going to produce like a top 10 quarterback. He's going to do a good job executing. I still believe he is an above average quarterback in this league. And that's where I stand. And the Niners are still my Super Bowl favorite. This was a bad loss for them, but I think at full strength, they are the most complete team on both sides of the ball. And they've proven that they've been a dominant force for most of this season. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Carson. I think that I'm I'm not ready to hop off the wagon yet, and you're exactly right, man. We can't judge Purdy in a vacuum. He's a human. Why would he ever be in a vacuum? Right. Wow, that's good material. I'm excited to see that in your stand-up special. All right. Yeah, thanks, man. I've been working on... I'll be here all week. Yeah. Well, the other team that has been viewed as the NFC powerhouse that entered today undefeated also took a big stumble, and that is the Philadelphia Eagles, who lost to the New York football Jets. Zach Wilson, baby. He keeps leading them out there, and he keeps racking up Ws. What did you take away from this, Logan? Uh... The Eagles have to convert red zone opportunities, man. That's where games are won and lost, and that is where the Eagles still have unfortunately uh, left me hanging, man. You know, I, I think that Jalen Hurts is still one of the best quarterbacks in football. Uh, he completely shot the Eagles in the foot this game. I mean, wow. Three picks, uh, one of them for sure his fault, two of them. Eh. Uh, Goddard gets the ball punched out on that Quinnen Williams interception. Uh He's got a ball batted by a defensive end when he's throwing. Uh, shout out UVA legend Bryce Hall ends up getting the pick. I thought Hurts should have scrambled or stepped up in the pocket on that play. That was not the right call. And then the last one was for sure his fault. Throws off his back foot to Goddard out of time too, where 
especially on those little hitch routes, man, or curl routes on those three to five step drops. If the ball is not out on that third or fifth step, you cannot throw that football. It's a hitch. It's a curl, man. Like, it, they're sitting on that route. They've seen what route he's running. So Hertz waits that extra few seconds to throw that ball, throws it off his back foot with not a lot of velocity. That gets picked off. That's definitely on him. And that was the killer. Uh, that sets up those uh, that sets up the points uh, to win the game uh, on that uh, Brees Hall TD for New York. The Swift fumbles a killer too, gave uh, the Jets a free three points before the half, and then of course Elliott misses the field goal to give Philly uh, three points on the final drive. But they have to convert their red zone opportunities, man. They're twenty seventh in red zone percentage this season. I thought they were short on that uh, goal line rushing attempt that hurts, where they thought it was a fumble. I didn't think that was even a TD. And that's a real difference maker, man. I just thought the Eagles gave it to the Jets. Uh, they don't finish their red zone opportunities. Hurts gives the ball away. Swift also fumbles. And this is how the Jets have to win games. They're severely hampered by their quarterback. I like Zach Wilson. Honestly, he's kind of improving week to week, Carson. I think this might be one of the better games that I've seen Zach Wilson play. He looked a little more composed. He was making plays on the run. I hate, yeah, it, thank you for shrugging. I hate gassing up Zach Wilson because it's like, here's a turd. Man, Zach Wilson looks really good compared to this turd, man. You know, when the bar is on the ground, it's not that hard to clear it. Uh, Zach Wilson looked marginally better by by Zach Wilson standards. Yeah, man, I mean, this is, this is the beauty of football, man. Great teams get beat by mediocre teams uh, and teams with backup quarterbacks because the sport's weird. I thought the Eagles just gave this one away, man. Uh, and the, look, the Jets are going to be competitive week to week. Please, sleepwalk into a game against the Jets. You're going to lose. They're, this defense is loaded, and I cannot wait. I'm Look, man, if Zach Wilson can keep the Jets alive, because apparently Rodgers is walking around, this would be a miraculous recovery from an Achilles tear. If he can keep them afloat, if he can keep them at close to 500, even a game sub 500 by the time Rodgers gets back, we could maybe see a playoff push from the Jets uh, towards the end of this season. That's the light at the end of the tunnel for the Jets this season is Rodgers coming back, them making a playoff push, and then hopefully making some sort of Super Bowl push. It's going to take Zach Wilson keeping them above water, but this is one of the best defenses in the NFL. I'd say top five, and I cannot wait for Robert Sala to finally have an offense that is just not handcuffing them because, I mean, even with Brees Hall running the football well, even with Zach Wilson playing good by Zach Wilson standards, they're not going to be a real contender. But I think that they can keep themselves afloat until Rodgers comes back. I cannot conceive of a world in which Aaron Rodgers plays football this year. Really? He's walking right now, man. He's yeah, walking. congratulations, bro. So is my 88-year-old grandpa. You going to throw pops out there behind the <laughs> Jets O-line? Yeah. I just think people are totally overreacting to that. Like, the Cam Akers recovery timeline was a medical miracle. And that was just under six months. Aaron Rodgers, if he's back in six months, that's early March. And that would be insane. This is still normally a nine-month-plus timeline. And the man is 40 years old. I think that people getting their hopes up for that are going to be let down. But I do want to give props to Zach Wilson. Not for being a good quarterback, but for being an improving quarterback who I think has done a better job of taking checkdowns, of not totally freaking out and making the game-killing turnover boneheaded plays, and most importantly, for stepping up as an emotional leader and for hanging mentally tough and for 
not blowing it here because I really respect the Jets culture. I think Sala is an unbelievable coach and I love this defense, but I do think we need to be concerned about the Eagles because you can only string together so many underwhelming performances in a row before it sets off some alarm bells. And I have been a huge believer in this is a top two team in football in terms of overall talent. I buy into that. I do still think Hertz is a damn good quarterback, but his play is a bit concerning at this point. You mentioned that last pick was just awful, staring him down in double coverage. You cannot throw that ball. And this was the rare game where Philly struggled to really establish the run and dominate there. And props to the Jets defense for that. But that put a little bit more of the onus on Hertz. And I did think that he struggled. And if you just look at the efficiency he had as a passer last year, 22 touchdowns to six picks, eight yards per attempt versus this year, seven touchdowns to seven picks, 7.2 yards per attempt. That certainly sets off some alarm bells. And one thing that I have noticed in his play this year is that he seems to be having a bit more trouble reading the field. He's taking longer to get through his progressions and he's making more bad decisions. And his time to throw has actually grown by quite a bit this year. Last year, he was 2.76 seconds to throw on average. That was 18th in the NFL. This year, 3.06 seconds is 33rd. It's only ahead of Russell Wilson. And I think that we have felt that watching him play. So I'm not freaking out about Jalen Hurts, but this is six weeks now where it's been a struggle to establish a rhythm where he's had a turnover, often a bad one in a majority of the games, and he hasn't had that one dominant stellar all around performance. So I think it's worth noting it's tough to sustain that brilliant sort of MVP level play that he was at last year for multiple seasons in a row. What do you think? Like, do you think he's regressed? Where are you at with the panic-o-meter with the Eagles? I'm not that panicked about the Eagles, if I'm being honest with you. I mean, I really do think it is just a matter of the Eagles executing in in shorter fields. That's part of it. I think a big change is the change in offensive coordinator, uh, you know, going mm-hmm. from Steichen and his team to uh, the new OC they have in here. I think that's a legitimate change, but... Like, Hurts still throws pretty balls. Hurts is still on target most of the time. For me, it's them drawing up creative stuff in the red zone that's going to work. Them not running fucking, you talk about Josh Allen running shotgun runs. Dude, like, just, I don't know, man, run a toss out of single back one time when they think you're going to run the tush push. Don't don't run Hurts up the middle well, every time. Show a little more creativity. I don't know. It's, I'm it's super effective. I'm shove, man. It's like a 93% success rate or something. I mean, that or, but today, just don't run it out of shotgun. I thought that was foolish. Yeah. Uh, I'm not that panicked. I think Hurts is still a supreme arm talent. I think they've got great wide receivers and uh, receiving talent across the board. I think this is the best offensive line still in football. Like, I think it's a matter of executing in the red zone. I think it's like you said, Hurts getting through his progressions faster. That is the one noticeable difference I've had with Hurts, too, is just decision-making and awareness, the... The internal clock, it doesn't seem like it's moving as fast. If that's getting balls out as quickly or if that's feeling pressure and knowing where when he needs to move up in the pocket or scramble, uh, I want him to, to be just a little more alert. He just doesn't feel as locked in right now. But the defense is great. The offensive line is the best in football. The receiving talent is there. I just keep waiting for them to break through. It's like they're, they keep hitting the ceiling right now. They just need to bust through. I'm I'm at a two, man. I, I'm at a I'm at 
a Joe Cool kind of level. Where are you? Are, are you way higher? Or are you still considering them as legitimate contenders? Like, like oh, what, what would you put on it? Okay, they are okay. absolutely Super Bowl contenders. They are too talented to be out of that conversation. They're still sitting at five and one here. They just haven't played at the level that I would expect, and they are about to be tested as hard as you possibly could be for eight straight weeks. We've talked about the schedule, but you go Dolphins, Cowboys twice, Chiefs, Bills, Niners, Seahawks. They're going to have to beat some damn good football teams, and they're going to have to play at a higher level to do so consistently. I still think they're certainly contenders, but I do look at a team like Detroit. In the NFC, and oh, I start yeah. to think that is a team that is really oh, yeah. talented across position groups. We see the defense continue to improve week to week. I am falling more and more in love with their weapons group. And the gap at quarterback play right now, Logan. I mean, Jared Goff has been the better player this season, but projecting it going forward, I don't know. It's pretty slim. Like, Goff is not a guy I look at as a limiter to an offense right now whatsoever. And if we are looking at that game manager tier, he is the highest end. He is higher than Brock Purdy to me. He can make more throws and I think is even safer with the football at this point. So that's more a testament to the Lions. This was a weird game. You have Hurts getting hit on the arm with the one interception. You have the other one that is out of the receiver's hand. One of the strangest picks that I've seen in a while. And that's how the Jets win football games, dude. It's like the Bills game. You just go, how did that happen? How did that happen? How did that happen? And that happens enough time in a, times in a row. And guess what? Zach Wilson has another W under his belt. But again, props to their culture because I do really respect the Jets hanging in there after such a disheartening start to the season. I think that that's really cool to see. The NFL season is going strong and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking new customers up with an offer that's even stronger. Bet five bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October. Get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NERDS. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL. That's code NERDS only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problems with gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Let's talk about another AFC-NFC matchup, Logan. Seahawks-Bengals. We were split on this game in the preview. You liked Cincy. I liked Seattle. How are you feeling about the Bengals now after back-to-back -back wins coming off of that really, really concerning start to the year? I'm feeling really good. This is a massive win heading into the bye week, but as you noted, my faith coming into this game was because of my faith in Joe Burrow. With MVP level Joe Burrow, you can beat anyone. And I was banking on him showing up once again today. And also because I think the Seahawks are in the third tier of NFC teams. I think they're a wild card team. You know, we thought it was close between the Lions and Seahawks, but I think they're definitively in that next tier. But I mean, we really only see MVP Joe Burrow for one half of this game. He had 
15 straight completions at one point in this game. The offense was just humming, dude. First half, he goes 18 of 22, 143 yards and two TDs. The rest of the game, 6 of 13 for 42 yards and a pick. It had way more to do with the defense stepping up to shut down Seattle in the second half, and I am slowly gaining more and more confidence in this Bengals defense. I need them to be more consistent, but I'm slowly gaining confidence. A lot of it had to do with clutch defensive pressure. I think Sam Hubbard, Trey Hendrickson, and B.J. Hill are one of the best defensive fronts in football. I know they've been inconsistent to start this season, but they've shown us it for two years that they are those guys. I'm buying into this Bengals D-line. Hubbard sacks Geno on the Bengals' sixth on fourth and goal. Hill uh, hits Smith inside the Bengals' town on fourth down. They just end up throwing it away. I thought the corners played great ball in this game. Cam Taylor-Britt had some crucial pass breakups and a pick. Same goes for Mike Hilton. And I thought Dax Hill had a, a decent game. Like, uh, l- let me be clear. Uh, <laughs> this is not a cure-all for the Bengals. The offense still struggles for half of this game. I think the offensive line is still going to get eaten alive. It's not effortless. It's not easy. The Bengals can't run the ball. Like, I'm not saying this is the this is the chick with the nose ring and red hair, man. There's some red flags with the Bengals, dude. There's there's certainly there. Uh, sorry. There's there's some red flags here with the Bengals, but I'm still gonna I'm still gonna buy in. I'm still gonna propose to the chick with red hair and uh in the nose ring. I'm still buying into her. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Defense is still 30th in yards per attempt against the run. Uh, I am concerned about that, and I think it had a lot to do with the Seahawks struggling in the red zone in this game. They're one of five in the red zone. Like, damn, Seattle should have won this football game. Uh, But I love Joe Burrow. I think they had a bye week to get him a little more healthy, and I think this defense is going to continue improving. I still think the Bengals are legitimate contenders in the AFC. I I mentioned this earlier with the Browns. I think there are seven contenders in the AFC, all the different levels. For me, it's Chiefs, Bills, Ravens in that top tier right now. And then it goes Dolphins, Browns, Bengals, Jaguars. I still buy into the Bengals. Like I said, there's a lot of red flags here. There are. But if Joe Burrow is at an MVP level, uh, I can bypass some of those because I I buy into Burrow and I buy into this defense getting better. To me, all of the takeaways from this game are basically about the Cincy defense because this was by far their clutchest performance of the year. It's not that they shut Seattle down. I mean, they still put up a good chunk of yardage on them and in fact outgained Cincy by 170 yards and nine first downs. But situationally, they were excellent. And it was particularly that pressure. You mentioned that first red zone stand up 17-13, They basically sacked Geno on three of the four plays. One time, he barely got it out, but that was monstrous pressure in the clutch. And then they came up with big pressure again to seal the game. So I thought Geno needed to clean it up in this one. He was not his best self. Just some costly mistakes, like a dumb jump ball on the first red zone pick. Missed DK by about five yards on the second pick. And so Seattle definitely had potential to put more points on the board here if he had been sharper, but absolutely, since he deserves credit defensively for stepping up, for playing at a level that we really haven't seen from them because we've talked about the secondary regression without Jesse Bates and Von Bell. And the pass rush really had been below average up to this point, very low in the league rankings in terms of pressure rate, but This was a good bounce-back performance from them. Offensively, it's another disastrous rushing performance. They're not going to have that dimension to the offense at any point. 
So I think I'm still lower on them than you. Like, this was a good win. My faith in Cincy has been restored to some extent. I still don't view them as a complete football team, though. And I don't think that Joe can patch all those holes up. If the defense keeps trending upwards, that'll be a game changer. If they play like this and better, then that'll change my outlook on them. No, like I would 100% say I prefer Baltimore and Cleveland within the division. I definitely prefer Miami. After that, I don't know if I'm calling anybody in the AFC really contenders. I think they're playoff caliber teams, and that's where Cincy has crawled back up to. Okay, we're going to touch on the rest of the games from today, but we're just going to do one takeaway from each of them. Let's start with Lions, Bucks, Logan. Showdown of a couple of one-loss teams when today started. What's your one takeaway from this Detroit win? Three words, Jared. Golf, baby. That's what I'm talking about, man. Dude, I have been waiting on this. And I know everybody wants to hop on the Lions bandwagon now. Me and Carson cranked up the engine after week one and said, hey, maybe this team Especially you, man. You had them in the NFC title game before the season. I did, and I bought in. And my one concern we mentioned last week going into this game Can they win a game when Jared Goff has to carry the load of the offense? And oh my gosh, he answered the call today. I'm so excited, dude. Uh, By far the worst rushing performance of this season. They've surpassed 100 rushing yards in every game this year. They go 22 carries for 40 yards, an abysmal 1.8 yards per carry. Goff goes 30 of 44, 353 yards, two TDs and no picks. And what really stood out to me, Carson, was how effective he was on third down. On third downs, he is 10 of 14 for 176 yards in two TDs. Of 15 attempts where Goff had the ball in his hands, they converted nine of those third downs. He was uber efficient. He's shown me more than Dak has shown me all year. He's shown me more than Purdy has shown me all year. Like, Goff is, I'm very high on Jared Goff, and like you said earlier, dude, I don't think he's a limiter. I think Goff is that guy. I think Amon Ross St. Brown is a top 10 receiver. I think him and Goff are a top five duo in football, and I think this Lions offense is loaded with St. Brown, with Laporta, with Jamison Williams back, and with Josh Reynolds. I'm all in, dude. I am, I'm here for it. Uh, like you said, dude, we've been on the, on the Lions Super Bowl ship for a while, and, uh, This has really reinforced it. I needed to see a game where Jared Goff put the offense on his back, and he did so in this game. It's a really good Goff performance. I think he is stamped top 10. We've talked about certain guys cycling in and out of that conversation. If it's Tua, if it's Purdy, if it's Kirk, if it's Dak, that very back end. To me, nobody has more been consistently as good as Goff in that tier of guys. I think he's the man. And I also think the Lions have the deepest receiving core in football now that Jamison Williams is back. Completions to 10 different receivers today for Goff. And Jamison adds a real element of explosiveness. Josh Reynolds is just consistently open. Obviously, Amon Ra is the man. He's a top 10 to 15 receiver, had an awesome game and an awesome touchdown today. But Laporta is a damn good tight end who's got some real yak upside. He makes plays after the catch. Khalif Raymond is very solid. Dudes like Marvin Jones, Craig Reynolds barely even get targeted, but they're perfectly capable receivers. We see that today when Gibbs is out there. He has some real receiving ability out of the backfield. They just have so many options, and you pair that with the dominant line, the dominant run game, top 10 quarterback play. I'm fired up on the Lions. It was good to see them win in a different way, and 
I don't want to start frothing at the mouth here because they put up 20 points. Like, this was really a damn good defensive performance, too. And they shut down the worst run game in football, which is something. And they gave some fits to Baker Mayfield, which doesn't impress me too much. But he had been playing well up to this point. And they were the team that was able to throw him off his rhythm. So they've been as dependently good as anybody this is a very consistent football team that i like a lot and that is definitely a contender do you have any very very quick thoughts on the bucks your man baker mayfield looking so so very human yeah no i mean he looked he did look human he missed trey palmer on a go route on a third down in the fourth quarter that i really thought sunk the ship like trey had beat his man by three or four steps and baker it looked exactly like the jimmy g emmanuel sanders overthrow uh Tampa's defense looked okay. I was really impressed that they were able to slow down David Montgomery uh, and this Lions rushing attack the way they did. But uh, receivers had some bad drops. Like, all this game is not on Baker, but Baker looked very, very average in this game. All right. What's your one takeaway from the Dolphins just throttling the Panthers? Slow start. They were down two touchdowns, but they end up winning by three touchdowns, that is. Dude, I mean, I... I mentioned this earlier, Tyreek uh, is the best receiver in football and could win MVP. I mean, this really feels like the year. If we're going to have another skill position MVP guy, it has to be this year. The last guy to do it was Adrian Peterson when he had 2,000 yards in 2012. Carson, can you tell me the last wideout to win the MVP award? Do you know that? The last wideout to win the MVP award? Is it Don Hudson? Do we have to go that far back? Dude, it's, it, it hasn't happened at least since 1957 in the modern era of football or close to. It's never Was happened. Was that crazy legs? Uh, oh, you, or no, you're saying that... I'm, I'm going to have to... I'm pretty sure Don Hudson won almost every year, right? Hudson might have won it in the prehistoric era of football when dinosaurs played. But since 57, we've had 66 MVPs, 45 of them QBs, 21 non-QBs. 18 running backs, two defensive players, one special teamer. No wideout has ever won the MVP in the modern NFL, and it just feels like this is the year. To me, the top tier of guys, Tyreek, McCaffrey, and then take your pick, man. I think those are the two guys atop uh, my MVP hierarchy right now, and I think if it's going to happen, it's going to be this year, man, that a skill position guy takes it home. Fuck giving him offensive player of the year, man. That's just disrespectful. I know that we've created these standards that QBs win MVP, offensive player of the years go to the skill guys. I just think they're more valuable than any other players in football. Yeah, Tyreek is the rare game-changing talent who is on that level, and we talk about all the brilliant cogs in the Miami offense, but he is the most important. He is that generationally special, and I do want to give props to Don. He won back-to-back -back car trophies, which was the MVP award back in 41 and 42 when he was doing it. Tyreek's stats since the start of last year, Logan, 2,524 yards and 15 touchdowns. He is currently on pace this year for 2,306 yards and 17 touchdowns. I think he is undoubtedly the most explosive deep threat we have seen in this sport since Randy Moss. I think he has the most game-breaking pure speed that I have ever seen. He is the most dangerous weapon out of motion that I've ever seen. We see it again. There's multiple plays where you just get him that running start and he is open 20 yards downfield in a second and a half. It's incredible. He can attack the middle of the field in a really rare way with that speed. You get him one-on-one -on -one without safety help. He will burn you on a go straight line speed. We saw that today. The dude is just 
one of a kind. I think it's really close between him and Jefferson for that wide receiver one conversation, and I've held that position. I think that his speed is more game-breaking than anything that Jefferson can do. Jefferson is so consistently open, though, and does also have that really big playability is a more polished route runner and does have a bit of a size advantage. The production from both of them is just unfathomable. And I think that they both elevate their offenses, honestly, more than any receiver in the time that I have been like a really sentient football watcher. I think they do more to lift their quarterbacks and offenses up than even like AB and Julio. Mm. Thoughts? Is that crazy? Ooh, you're getting into... Considering how limited their QBs are, I would say yes. That's the only advantage I'd give them, though, because Calvin had Matthew Stafford, Julio had Matt Ryan, AB had Ben. All those guys are Hall of Fame talents. They might not all be Hall of Famers, but they're all Hall of Fame talents. It's a good take. No, no, I agree with you. Because of how lowly I consider their QBs to be, I do think they elevate their lowly. guys. Lowly. It's Kirk and Tua, lowly. man. It's Kirk and Tua. They're good. They're both good quarterbacks, but they're not in that Ben tier, certainly. I don't think that they're in that Matt Ryan tier. I think that Tyreek does have an MVP case, and honestly, his might be more compelling than McCaffrey's to me. McCaffrey's so too, just always in that damn end zone, but the way that Tyreek reshapes defenses is genuinely like nothing I have ever seen. Okay. What's your one takeaway from the battle for the AFC South, Colts versus Jags? I think the Jacksonville's defense is kind of slept on, man. Uh, they forced four, four turnovers in this game. They have a league-leading 15 takeaways this year. They got a good pass rush. They're top 10 in, pa uh, in pressure rate. They got a top 10 run defense. They're 10 in yards per attempt right now. And, you know, they're 29th in yards per pass attempt. I think that's where they struggle, but... They've played the Bills, Texans, Chiefs, all who have pretty good offensive attacks. I think they could get better as the year goes on. So I think the Jags' uh, defense is a little bit slept on, man. I like that take. I think more broadly, this game just showed us that there is still a gap between the Jags and the rest of this division. This was a good win for them, and they weren't dominant running the ball, but they were consistent with it, and we did see them have a great week there against the Bills, so they're continuing to establish that part of their identity. Trevor was solid, but also the Colts, we saw some cracks in the armor, really struggled to run the ball, give some props to Jacksonville's front there, and then Gardner made some mistakes in this one, and the Colts' weapons still, I do like Josh Downs, and I do like Pittman, but... It's not the most impressive overall group. I honestly think the Texans have probably surpassed the Colts in my eyes as an all-around football team, and I have a lot more faith in them at the quarterback position. And unfortunately, the news is getting worse about Anthony Richardson and his shoulder injury, and there's talk that it may require season-ending surgery. And if that happens, I think this is a Colts team that is just going to trend down. I think his value to their running game is immense. I think he has a higher ceiling as a thrower, as an overall offensive engine than Gardner does. That guy's really good. And the Colts, I think, overachieved a bit through the first five weeks. All right. Another AFC South team, the Titans, Logan, couldn't get it done against the Ravens. What did you take away from that game? It just feels like the Ravens are on the cusp, man. Every week they dominate and Lamar balls out so heavily. Justin Tucker kicked six field goals in this game, man. Yeah. They just can't get the lid off. If it's not getting in the red zone one week is what leaves them shorter. If it's their receivers dropping passes, 
I, I think the Ravens are still slept on. Like, I, I just don't think they're the way they've won these games has reflected how great they are. You know, the way we're talking about the yeah. Eagles is the same way I consider the Ravens. I think the Ravens have a top-five defense in all of football. I think Lamar is a top-five QB in football. And with that recipe, they should be slaying teams. They should not be, you know, barely eking out wins against the Titans. They should be slaying teams, especially yeah. the Titans, bruh. They're so close. If this Ravens offense could get fully unlocked in the next couple of weeks, I mean— and, you know, hit their stride as they're going into the playoffs, I think this Ravens team could win the Super Bowl, too. I just, I want to, even though I hate the Ravens, man, I want to see it come together as a football fan. It feels like they're just knocking on the door of that breakthrough performance, and they have been the better football team in every game that they've played this year. They have a really strange loss to the Colts in overtime where they outgain them, but they let things slip away, miss a field goal on that one, don't get a call their way. They lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the way that anybody does. It's completely baffling and inexplicable and requires just otherworldly defensive plays from Pittsburgh. And this is another one where it's like, all right, they should have really blown the Titans out and it ends up as just a one-score game. But I do believe in what they're doing. I still think this is the best Lamar has looked as a passer, even if the statistical production isn't overwhelming. I do still think this is the best receiving core. I believe in them dominating on the ground just about every week. I believe in this defense. I think the Ravens are better than their record and then their point differential would reflect because... It's like the Eagles. As you said, they haven't had that dominant performance. I believe they're capable of it. I'm excited to see them play the Lions this week and see if higher level competition can bring a higher level out in them because they're going to need to reach it eventually. You can't keep eking by inferior teams like this. All right, Falcons Commanders. What's your one takeaway, Logan? Commanders need an O-line, Carson. I got a little trivia here for you really quick. They've been sacked. uh, Sam Howell's been sacked the league leading 34 times through six weeks. That's the third most sacks allowed through the first six weeks of a season since 1970. That's behind one team. Can you guess it? Well, I was going to say David Carr. It's David Carr's Texans, man. I mean, the commanders are really in, in hallowed ground in terms of protection up front. Sam Howell's taking a beating back there, only behind David Carr's Texans. Uh, Help him, please. Yeah, sorry, I didn't want to miss out on an opportunity to do a little trivia there. (laughs) I'm going to go with the opposite team here. I am still not even skeptical of Desmond Ritter as a passer. I think that last week him pushing the ball downfield a bit more was a one-off performance. I think he is absolutely in the bottom tier of starting quarterbacks. The first pick today, timing was off. Corner did a nice job of jumping it. The second pick Third down, inside the five, super high-stakes situation, trying to tie that football game up. Off his back foot, just floats up a terrible ball, multiple yards short of the target. It's an easy pick. And then the one that clinched the game after that, because Washington kept giving them opportunities to get into this game. Their offense just couldn't finish things off. And on that last pick from Ritter, the DB had inside leverage. He still throws that ball, and by the time that it actually arrived, it was like a warm-up interception so you just can't rely on him or this Falcons team through the air and that was something it felt like we knew that they were going to be probably the most limited team in football there the most one-dimensional in terms of how they could win and then Ritter overplayed his expectations last week this week very much came back to earth not just with like being limited in terms of making 
big time stuff happened with the really costly mistakes too. And there were a couple other plays where Drake London bailed him out with just sensational athleticism, basically taking the ball out of DB's hands. Unbelievable contested catch making. He could have had even more turnovers in this game. So I'm out on the Falcons. I thought this was a team coming into the year that because of their overall talent, how well they could run the ball and improving defense could win the NFC South. But it's really, really hard to win football games when you are that limited at the quarterback position in terms of throwing the ball. And I think that that's just going to bite them too many times. All right, let's talk about another NFC South team, Saints-Texans. What did you take away from that, Logan? I think I've underrated the Saints a little bit. Uh, I think they're the oh. second best team in the NFC South. Interesting. And I mean, they can move the hell out of the ball, man. That's not really my concern. Like, I still don't like uh, Derek Carr. I still have my issues with him. But they have so many talented players from Olave to Shahid to Kamara to mm -hmm. Michael Thomas to freaking Taysom Hill, man. It's like Jamal Williams. Like, if... If I could trust them to score, they go 0 of 3 in the red zone uh, for TDs. If they could score the ball, I'd like the Saints a lot more. I just don't trust Derek Carr in the red zone, and I don't trust this team there. I think this defense is good. I think the skill positions are good. I think Derek Carr leaves them hanging. But I still think I've underrated them a little bit. They weren't on my radar I think they're be slightly better than the Falcons and number two in the NFC South. They might be number one for me. I think having the best quarterback in the division and maybe the best defense in the division, it's close between them and the Bucs, but they're definitely in that conversation. Brody likes... You, why do you like Derek Carr, I don't man? like Derek Carr. Look at the competition. It's Bryce Young, Desmond Ritter, and Baker Mayfield. Somebody's got to be first. You don't think it's Carr? Would you still take Baker for the rest of the season over Carr? Yes, yes. Right, we'll see how that holds up. I think that Baker mania <laughs> may have come to an end this week. I think things may be trending down from this point forward. I just thought it was interesting that that was your take after they lost to a pretty mediocre team in the Texans. But I do want to give Houston props because I think it's a solid all-around football team. I love C.J. Stroud. I think he is already at least an average starter. I mean, he pushes the ball downfield. He minimizes mistakes. I think he's athletic and can extend plays, and he's just a dog. I love him as the future of the quarterback position for them, but I also think this defense has been really solid, and they invested in it in a big way in the offseason. I think that's progressed. I think we've seen a nice rapport develop with the weapons, with Nico Collins, with Tank Dell, Dalton Schultz has caught a touchdown in, I think, three straight weeks now. Noah Brown is solid. So I just want to give props to the Texans. I do think that they've surpassed the Colts, and they could maybe be a wild card team. I have that much faith in C.J. Stroud. The quarterback position is so, so important. He's a guy who can go out there, who can drive down the field in big spots and win you games. And because of that, I like them maybe a little bit more than their raw talent level on paper, which I also think is better than I gave them credit for in the preseason. But you know who's not so good, Logan, who's not so talented on paper and not so good at winning football games? The Chicago Bears and really the Minnesota Vikings now down Justin Jefferson. What did you take away from Minnesota winning this one? I just wrote down uh, Tyson Badgett. Um, that dude's the first QB I've never heard yeah. of since Chris Strevler. I had no idea who that was. I could not believe my eyes. Who is this guy with the swaggy right arm sleeve? Uh, who is Tyson uh Bagent. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Bagent. I've never heard of this. It's Tyson Bagent. Who, who is Tyson Bagent? 
I think it's Bajan, and if I remember on the broadcast correctly. I was so baffled by his appearance out of Shepherd University, by the way, a good old-fashioned D2 school, that I started trying to decode his name, like looking for anagrams to see if there was a hidden message in there. The two best things that I got were not ban Getsy, maybe some sort of subliminal messaging to not fire Luke Getsy, the offensive coordinator who's not doing a very good job, or Banton Getsy. Maybe a secret son of his using a pseudonym, a fake name, claiming to be this Tyson Bajant fellow. I don't know. Either way, he's not very good and the Bears suck and hopefully Fields is okay because he's a hell of a lot better than Tyson Bajant. It feels like they have just accepted that their quarterback luck is so awful they're just going to take dudes who literally nobody has ever heard of, who haven't played at anything close to the NFL level, and I respect it. My takeaway is that the Vikings season is over without Jefferson out there. He's, of course, on the IR right now, and him and Tyreek, man, it's what we were just talking about. They carry their offenses in a way that is truly unique at the receiver position. They are so singularly reliant on Jettis to get open. That run game sucks. They haven't had success with it basically in any game this year. And listen, I like Jordan Addison. I like TJ Hawkinson. Neither of them are prepared to handle the sort of number one capacities and certainly not live up to the billing of just a generational talent like Justin Jefferson. Kirk apparently wants to stay in Minnesota. We've heard lots of trade rumors since the Jefferson injury because it makes sense. This is a team that is trending down and down with a relatively big-time quarterback that contenders would be interested in. Apparently, he doesn't want to waive his no-trade clause, and I do believe that. But if I were the Jets, or even more so, Logan, and tell me what you think of this, if I were the Steelers, I would be pushing for a Kirk Cousins deal. Maybe it can't happen, but those teams are so, so good defensively and they are so so limited shall we say at the quarterback position and overall offensively you can't tell me kirk wouldn't make a big difference man kirk isn't the equator you call kirk the equator he's above the above the equator pal no kirk's kirk's the equator no he's just kirk's, north kirk's the, kirk's the prime meridian he's cool he's in the middle all I, right and no i do not want the steam where is kenny pickett kirk. then kirk is not buenos aires i mean can Man, Kenny's like, he, he might be in like, uh, he's in Australia, man. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> he's not close. You don't Kirk, want a um, chance at winning a playoff game? That wouldn't be fun. No, Kirk would give you that. Who cares? All right. Kenny gives us a chance at winning a playoff game. Nope. Look, dude. Nope. DJ Kirk, Watt Kirk, does. Maybe. Yeah. Kirk is not going to make a difference in the offense because Kirk's not going to be calling the plays. No, but he is such a but, superior uh, quarterback talent. All right. I just wanted to get a feel on what you thought. I think the Steelers make more sense than the Jets because they both have the same vision, but the Jets have already invested in Aaron Rodgers. It would be weird for them to bring in Kirk just as a mercenary for one year, but he could help somebody. And what I've heard, and what I've heard too is, I mean, all of Kirk's family is in Minnesota. Yeah, he's a you know, family it, man. It, that get that gives him security, and I don't think he wants to make that kind of an adjustment mid-season just to go somewhere else in the off-season. But I like it. If I was New York. I would shop. I would shop some late round picks for Kirk for sure. Why would you give Kirk Cousins a no trade clause? That's what I'm trying to wrap my head around. But I agree. I think that it's all fantasy. But it would be fun to see him join up with an elite defense because Kirk's good. He's not great, but he's good. All right, last game we got to touch on here, Logan. Patriots Raiders, just an absolute shit show. What did you take away from this? 
Uh, I think the Patriots are one of the worst teams in football. Um, they're in the worst team in the NFL conversation, and uh, I think you should just initiate a full tank. Uh, I watched Mac Jones throw another soul-crushing interception that made absolutely no sense, and I'm all in on them getting Caleb Williams, man. Like, yeah. who cares? You know, and I don't really see any incentive for Bill to come back if that's not on the table. Uh, it, it, to me, it's really similar to Greg Popovich getting Victor, Victor Wembanyama. If you put Caleb Williams on the on the table for Bill, I think you can run it back. I think Bill needs a great quarterback, and I don't think there's a point in the Patriots trying the rest of the season. Throw in the towel, see what high-level QB you can get in the draft, and move on from Mac. My takeaway from this game is I think the Patriots are officially the worst offense in football, and they entered this game dead last in scoring. They were 30th in yards per play. But really seeing them struggle like this against the Raiders defense, of course, they only scored three points in back-to-back -back weeks before this, so this was theoretically improvement. But to barely crawl the 250 yards against the Raiders on the back of so many bad performances in a row, I really think they're even worse than the Giants. I think they're even worse than the Panthers because they're bad everywhere. Mac, it was another awful interception. As you mentioned, he overthrows the receiver by five yards right to the DB. And of course... When he finally makes a good throw downfield on that final desperation drive, Devontae Parker drops it. It was right in the breadbasket. And then right after that, Mac takes a sack because he's under a lot of pressure and he doesn't have very good pocket presence or awareness at all. In fact, it's pretty bad. He's skittish back there. He is bad, flat out. And I think all the Patriots fans who initially pushed back and said, no, it's the situation. I've come to accept it in a vacuum. There's nothing he does at an above average level. And he makes these sort of mind-blowing errors with way too much regularity, he's not comfortable in the pocket. All of those things show that he is not a starting level quarterback to me, and certainly not a guy that New England should try to build around. But the line is really bad. The run game is really bad. The receiving weapons are really bad. They're coached poorly and without creativity. This is a bottom shelf football team with their injuries defensively absolutely in the bottom tier. It's crazy to see, but... I agree with you, and I said this last week. To me, you'll never fire Bill Belichick, but a mutual parting of ways after this season definitely would not be the worst thing for either side. You don't want to just spiral into the ugly descent. His resume is probably untouchable, but I don't see him helping it unless they do get a dynamic talent at the quarterback position and a real offensive redirection overall. I hit you guys with a pump fake. This is not the last game. I forgot about Cardinals-Rams. What's your one takeaway from that one, Logan? Cardinals need a running game to win games. Uh, I really took James Conner for granted. I told all of my friends and anybody who would listen, Cardinals plus seven was a lock this week, and then the Cardinals can't move the ball. Uh, I like Josh Dobbs a lot. I, I think he's okay. I think he's better than Zach Wilson. He's still one of the worst starters in the NFL. I overestimated Josh Dobbs, and I severely underestimated how much he needs James Conner and a little bit of a running game to, to get this offense going. They looked lifeless offensively without the running game today, and uh, that's my takeaway. The Cardinals need a running game to be a decent team. They do, and I fear that the last two weeks they've shown a bit of regression, and some of it falls on... The leader, Joshua Dobbs, who has just been less accurate, he's been less composed, he's made more mistakes, he's looked more like the Josh Dobbs that I expected, not the efficient, good game manager who also had athletic upside that he was through the first few weeks. 
I think the Cardinals are unfortunately trending back towards being one of the absolute worst teams in football. They only have one win, but they were surprisingly and impressively competitive through those first three weeks, especially. Now I think that they're back in the gutter. Props to the Rams, though. I think Matt Stafford keeps balling out. Again, I think he's played better than his stat line this year. I think he can still make big-time throws. Cooper Cup had a great game. And Kyron Williams, a nice little diamond in the rough there. Hasn't been overly efficient this entire year, but I thought had a great game on the ground, and they really committed to him, and he just kept balling out there and, and producing for this entire game. So there you have it, folks. Our takeaways from all of today's action. If you enjoyed this one, then the good news is you can find all of our shows with video at the Volume YouTube page, so please subscribe. You can also listen to the podcast across audio platforms if you enjoy there. Give us a rate and review. Why wouldn't you? It certainly helps. You can also follow us across social, TikTok and Instagram at NerdSesh, Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh, and you can join our Discord. That is at the link tree across our social media bios if you just want to talk football, basketball, be a part of our community. You can also buy our merch at the link tree or at thevolume.com. We've got hats, we've got shirts, we've got hoodies, we've got the flags behind us, so check all that out. And with that, as always, appreciate you guys. We will be back after Monday Night Football talking Cowboys Chargers because that should be a fun game. And as always, I've been Carson Breber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sash. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling.